This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There is more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to new parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Hey there, welcome back to Mom and Mind. I am your host, Dr. Kat. In our episode today, we are talking with Christine Kerrig. She is a mom sharing her personal story of going through postpartum anxiety with her first, then having a second child born with severe colic, and having to manage how the firstborn was feeling about the transition. Additionally, how relationships in her life had changed. And by the time her third child came around, she had thrown herself into learning more about perinatal mental health and supporting herself the best way she could. This is a really great episode if you are somebody who has suffered with postpartum anxiety or had a difficult transition from one to two, if your child suffered from colic, and really anyone who's on their journey to understanding their own mental health during pregnancy and postpartum. Christine is the director of Carrig Montessori School in Brooklyn, New York, and she holds a master's degree in early childhood education as well as a Montessori certification. She has trained as a postpartum doula through both Dona and Ayurvedic Mamas. She recently founded The Family Flow, a community that offers online courses for parents of younger children with the aim of helping parents understand and support their children so they can guide them through the messy terrain of development. She now lives in Queens with her husband and four young children. You can find out more information from thefamilyflow.com. So let's jump in and meet Christine. Welcome, Christine. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to have this opportunity. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on and wanting to share your story. I know there are going to be parts of your story that people are really resonating with. And as you know, hearing from other people about their experience really helps us to feel not alone. So I know that that impact will come with you sharing as well. And I appreciate you, you being here. So I'd love for you to start wherever you'd like about your story. Great. Thank you. So I'll start with the birth of my first daughter. So in 2012, I was overjoyed to have my first baby. I had a great pregnancy that ended with a natural birth and a healthy, beautiful baby. So there was a lot to be grateful for. At that time, I was only three years into running the Montessori school that my husband and I had started. So I did fall into that category a new business owner and a new mom and really trying to show up for both. Right. So it was a lot. I felt very, I felt like I was on a steep learning curve in all areas of my life. So if anything, the difficulty of that first postpartum period was really the way in which I tried to push myself to be available, even if not physically, then still over email to work and tried to really manage both the small business we were running and this new baby. So there was stress with that situation. But overall, it really was a joyful time. I loved being a mom. My daughter was super engaging and just, it was a great experience. One thing I was surprised about, though, was the amount of hypervigilance I had. Mm -hmm. And I remember being kind of shocked and amazed at the biochemistry of being a new mom, just 
everything in my entire system seemed to orient around this little baby and her (laughs) safety. And I found that totally overwhelming and exhausting. And I had been around kids for years and years in my career and I was keeping them safe, but I wasn't having this like exhausting kind of scanning for danger at all times like I was Mm -hmm. with my daughter. So I do remember feeling like I wish I could feel a little bit more autonomous even in her presence, but I just couldn't extract myself from her experience in a lot of ways. And so the only time I was able to fully relax would be if I could leave the apartment without her. Mm -hmm. So as much as I missed her, for me, going back to work was actually a really good thing for my mental health. Mm -hmm. To have that separation was just really necessary for me to feel like I was my own autonomous being. And then I could really enjoy my time with her a little bit more because I wasn't so depleted from all that hypervigilance that I couldn't seem to tone down. (laughs) Yeah, I I, thank you for um, bringing that point in. I hear quite a bit that people sort of struggle with, you know, should I go back to work or not? And honestly, for some people, going back to work is what's best for them. And in many ways, what's best for their relationship with their child, too. So thank thank you for speaking to that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that was absolutely our case. I know we missed each other, but it was what was best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as she got a little older, we noticed, you know, in her toddler years, cognitively, she was doing great. There was definitely a lot that was going really well in her development, but emotionally and also physically, she was extremely sensitive. Um, So very sensitive to noise, very sensitive to like, if a little bit of water got in her eyes at bath time, it was almost like full panic, very sensitive to other people's emotions and Mm -hmm. easily overwhelmed by her own emotions. And she had major sleep issues. She was very alert not hyperactive, but like hyper alert. So Mm -hmm. at that time we were living in Manhattan and we lived in this big building with an elevator. So, you know, the elevator doors would open up and people would pile in and we'd see other people with their babies. I remember one day my husband and I talking to each other and we were like, don't you see how the other babies have that sweet, hazy new baby look? When when is our baby going to look like that? Mm -hmm. You know, you'd look at them and they'd just be staring at the lights and seeming real dreamy and peaceful. And then you'd look at our baby and she just seemed like laser focused Oh gosh! (laughs) and really not relaxed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she was pretty quick to overstimulation. And um, if I took her to a little class at the library, she'd try to crawl out of the room or once Mm -hmm. she was on foot, she definitely would try to leave large groups or if there was too much noise or stimulation, she was trying to get out of there. Yeah. And, um, she demanded quite a lot of one-on-one attention because she needed that grounding from Mm. me and my husband, but she was our only child. And honestly, she was just doing a great job of training us to be the parents she wanted us to be. Mm -hmm. And we were managing just fine. Mm -hmm. Um, She was happy and thriving. She was just kind of a high gear kid. Right. Um, But then fast forward to 2015, my son was born and my pregnancy with my son, it was it was healthy and and smooth and that it was free of complications for him, but it was a more challenging pregnancy. There was mm-hmm. a lot more pain. My abdominals split, my belly button herniated, mm. the nausea was a lot worse, and I couldn't elevate my mood past a certain level throughout mm-hmm. that pregnancy. Mm-hmm. kind of felt like I had this cloud over me the mm-hmm. whole time. Mm-hmm. And there was another mom I spoke to around that time just casually, and I mentioned to her like, yeah, it's you know, it's going well. It's just, I, I kind of just feel like I just can't, I don't feel the same. Like I, I just, nothing is really enthuses me the way it used to. It's, mm-hmm. I just feel different. She was like, oh, I had that with my second pregnancy. And it, as soon as my son was born, it was like the skies cleared and I was back to my normal self. So I anticipated this really great relief that was yeah. going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see the setup for this. Um, yep. You know how the story mm-hmm. ends. We can mm-hmm. stop now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's it's so real. Those the things that other people say, we hold on to that because it yes. becomes like a a way to hold on to hope for just to feel relieved. Definitely. And and I, you know, even looking back now, I'm happy that she gave me that like three or four months of hope. I don't mind that I was anticipating this great relief because what I got was something so different, but at least I was holding on to something. Right. Um, 
So again, his birth went well, and I was so grateful for that. And out came this beautiful, healthy baby boy. And within about two days of him coming, my daughter started showing a lot of aggression toward him. And then a few days after that aggression toward me, this wasn't just the kind of like, you're hugging the baby too tight aggression. Mm -hmm. This was more to the point of me not feeling comfortable being alone with the two of them. So thankfully, my husband was able to be around most of the time. But it was this awful feeling to go from having felt so close to my daughter and then see her struggle in this way and not feel like I could be the one to soothe her through the overwhelm of emotion right. because I was trying to keep my newborn safe. Right. And That's that really was tough. just a, it, the difficulty of, of feeling like you're, you're choosing, you know, mm-hmm. this, I realize this goes on and on with siblings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in the early stage, it was so heightened and I felt so guilty that we'd gone from spending, you know, all this wonderful, close, connected time together, even just days before to now suddenly being scared to be alone with her and Mm. kind of flinching when she would make a sudden move toward us because maybe she would want to just jump on my lap and read a book, but maybe she was coming to hit the baby. Mm. And I I didn't really know. Uh, How old was she at this time? She was almost about to be three. She was a month Mm -hmm. shy of three. Mm -hmm. Okay, And my reactivity to her, understandable as it might have been, because again, I had that hypervigilance kick in with all the things that were happening in my body and Mm -hmm. getting to protect this newborn baby. But now that the danger was my older child. So understandable as that might might have been, my reactivity to her just raised her alarm through the roof. And she felt that as separation. And I felt horrible about how she was interpreting all of that, but didn't quite know how to fix that for us. And so all in all, we were just having a rocky start as a family of four. This podcast is supported by Posh Peanut. Raising a family can be tough, as we know, and it can also be amazing and beautiful. Posh Peanut gets it which is why they make beautiful, soft clothing that is tough enough to withstand all of the rough and tumble of childhood. And they have sizing for parents as well. You could even get matching clothing for the whole family. Made from viscose from bamboo, the clothes stretch with your kid as they grow and are four times stretchier than cotton. These clothes are made to last, loved by parents and approved by kids. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, beautiful and stylish clothing for kids and families designed in-house From beautiful florals to your favorite brands, such as Hot Wheels, Disney, Hello Kitty, and Barbie. It's also breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate on sensitive skin. So I got my Posh Peanut loungewear, and I've been putting it on, especially after my long client days, because I need the instant comfort and relaxation. It's one of the ways that I do my self-care, because the soft, stretchy fabric of the Posh Peanut loungewear is really comforting to me. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code MIND. Go to poshpeanut.com slash mind and use promo code MIND for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com slash mind, promo code MIND. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, if, if I can too, I just am, am thinking of your your background in early childhood um, education, you kind of, I wonder if you kind of also know a lot about what's happening and that adds this other layer, like you're understanding her emotional needs and you're so in tune with her, but you also have this education about, about little ones. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And I think with that too, it was a double-edged sword because, you know, three-year-olds are my wheelhouse. That's, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd spent years and years and years with three, four and five-year-olds and I had started the school and that was the age group we served. And then I feel totally incapable to walk my own three-year-old through this really difficult terrain. Mm-hmm. And while I may have kind of known what was going on with her on some levels, it was also so heightened from what yeah. I had seen even from the outside, other families experience when they went from having just one child to adding another one. Mm -hmm. I had only ever witnessed from the outside one other 
transition of a student of mine welcoming a new baby that seemed to go as badly as my experience mm-hmm. was going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of felt like I was failing her in that mm-hmm. way and that I should be able to do better because of my background. So it was another layer I was adding on to it for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's so tough. Oh, you you like uh, have have the skills, but when it's in your home, it is very different. You're dealing it's with so many so more different. details and nuance and and emotional complexity of attachment and all of that. It's, it's yes, ooh, okay. yes, and and I had always looked at it through the lens of I'm looking at the older child and kind of knowing what's best for them, but now in this experience, I had the the experience of, well, but you're a mom in a postpartum period with a newborn baby. And so you're quite limited in being able to offer everything that that older child needs. Right. right. Um, and so the, the acceptance that needed to ha- happen around that was just really hard for me to get to mostly mm-hmm. it just stayed at that guilt level. Uh, it's so hard. Plus there's, I'm, I assume some level of sleep deprivation and just like trying to get through the day with a newborn. Yes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. The sleep deprivation was, was she still had her sleep issues and I had the newborn. So that was all, mm-hmm. uh, all definitely a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right around this time, I'd say maybe a week or so after my son was born. So we were already knowing that it was challenging for my older daughter, but you know, we were doing the best we could to, to manage that. But about a week after he was born, my mom came into town and, and she had a, a visit a couple days long and everything seemed to go generally well with that visit. But after she left, there were a couple of things that she had interpreted either with me or, or my siblings. It was a little ambiguous, but in either case, she decided she wanted to take some space from me right around that time. And I flew into a bit of a panic because she'd been a huge part of my life when my daughter was born and I was expecting a lot of that same like support and closeness again with my son that I felt like I needed even more because I was so overwhelmed with the two of them. And I'm the youngest of three. So here's a woman who I know has been through this. And Mm -hmm. I reached out a couple of times, but it was pretty clear that she was setting a strong boundary of not wanting communication for a while. And I gave it about a week And then I suggested that maybe I bring the kids to her area around the holidays, which was a few weeks from that time. But at this point, she was pretty clear that this was going to be a longer term kind of lack of communication, which really resulted in a, in a long-term estrangement, which still, still goes on today, but Mm. started right at that time um, when he was about a week old. So I bring that up not to not to try to dive into the complexity of that, because that wouldn't be fair to anybody, because it's, mm-hmm. you know, I can only speak to my experience. I don't obviously couldn't have full appreciation for what her experience was, but I bring it up because there are often these ambiguous losses in the perinatal time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and losses that are so hurtful and we grieve in such a big way, but society doesn't categorize them neatly. Right. often don't get the support that you need. And maybe there's confusion and shame and guilt around it. And so maybe you don't even seek the help that you need. And that was definitely my experience. Mm. Right. So I imagine be sort of being a little disoriented to to like, okay, well, what now? Yes, definitely. Mm. And there was my dad had died when I was in college. And it was a sudden kind of out of nowhere death because he was young. And as hard as that was, there was this certainty and closure around it. Mm. So I was able to really grieve and people were able to offer me support because we have a context for what that type of death is. Mm-hmm. But this was so different and it felt really isolating and yeah, in a lot of ways, even shameful somehow. And then mm-hmm. I had this way where I was either trying to shield myself from feeling that loss because I wanted to show up for my kids, but then also shield myself from holding on to hope that it was going to end up differently. So yeah, the confusion and all of that was pretty overwhelming. Right. So your, your daughter is just, uh, just under three and your son is one week old and yeah, that's a heavy dose of stress. Yeah. And it was this, I think my daughter and I were having parallel experiences because she was Mm -hmm. grieving the mom that she knew where Mm -hmm. I was fully available to her and Mm -hmm. 
it was just the two of us and she was grieving that loss in a huge way. And she got to act out in all these ways and really express herself in this huge way about how she felt about that. And then I'm kind of silently grieving this loss of my mom Mm -hmm. and not knowing how to act around that. So we were both in this painful place, but doing the best we could. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward a week later, and I remember I was trying to get some work done for school. It was parent-teacher conference time. And I was just reading over conferences. And I remember my son was just incredibly fussy. And I thought, gosh, he is really, I'm having to get up like every other second and tend to him and just having a fussy day. And then the next day it was fussiness mixed with some more panicked screams. And then Mm. soon he stopped holding down milk and would aggressively vomit after every feeding. And then a few days later, we knew we had full-blown colic on our hands. Oh, oh no. Um, and then this is where it hit kind of crescendo because mm. you have this confused, grieving mother trying to manage a small business and two kids, one with colic, one with hypersensitivity. And um, it was just a, a tough time. Yeah. And thank goodness for my husband because he was the most steady of all mm. of us. Mm. And even though it was hard on him, as well. It was interesting to see how he processed everything with the colic because he, Mm. he kind of always saw a light at the end of the tunnel where I didn't. Mm. Um, He was very much like, you know, we have a healthy baby colic doesn't last forever. And we'll get to the other side of this. And Mm -hmm. meanwhile, I'm overanalyzing everything I eat because I'm breastfeeding. So I feel like it's my fault. We just had a really different relationship with how that was playing out. And I, I really drew from his optimism in that time. Mm-hmm. And he was in, he had a nice kind of stabilizing effect on the whole family. Thank goodness. Cause we needed a win. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. It's so useful when, when one person can hold that space. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a hazy memory of that time, but two stories kind of really stick out for me in, in different ways of helping me kind of see my situation with a little bit more perspective because so much of the living with a baby with colic is so it's, it's so overstimulating and overwhelming mm-hmm. right? that you're almost not contextualizing anything. You're just mm-hmm. feeling like you're in this constant fight or flight. But one moment I remember was my sister who lived close by at that time. Thank goodness. She'd come over for a visit one day and my son was screaming hysterically like he did at that time. And projectile vomiting in the way that he would and and he would throw up so much that he'd have trouble catching his breath and then he'd turn a little bit red and he was just struggling so much poor guy and I'd kind of hear him choke a little and that was my cue to like scoop him up real fast and run to the bathroom and hold him over the bathtub so he could throw up in the bathtub so we weren't cleaning up the couch at all times and this was just going on in a cycle and my sister finally turned to me and in the sweetest way said I think this is just too much. And I think I'm going to go. And (laughs) we both kind of laughed about it. And I, I totally understood. And I remember thinking like, take me with you. (laughs) But it was just the way she said it and the way she looked at me when she left, like it was just with such compassionate eyes. Like it, it really helped me realize that I wasn't I wasn't at fault for any of this. I was just in a difficult situation. It was that yeah. first moment of grace that I had of like, oh, I'm in a really tricky spot and we're mm-hmm. managing a lot here. And yeah. overall, we're kind of doing okay. That point that you that you made a little bit earlier about not being able to contextualize the the moment and the experience, um, ha- having that kind of uh, in- interaction with your sister I love that it it gave you the perspective because to your point, it is really hard to know how hard it is. If you're just trying to get through the day, you might yes. be feeling how hard it is, but mentally, emotionally, you're not, Hmm, this is really different. And this, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to just sit and reflect when you're in it all day. And that, that is the experience of just so many people who are, who have similar, maybe different, but similar experiences to you. It's just too much to wrap your head around sometimes. Yeah, it was just mind-boggling what we were actually sitting in day-to-day and Mm -hmm. and moment-to-moment. And I needed to kind of borrow someone else's eyes and look at my situation and and go, oh, this is hard. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
And then there was this other moment that I can remember so clearly. And I, I had to go over to, I was going across the street to the grocery store and I had my son strapped in the carrier. He was strapped to my chest, just screaming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, my daughter was walking with me and just generally not behaving because she was overstimulated. And as we walked down the sidewalk, you know, the, the way that that colicky cry is, it, it really grabs your attention. I mean, that's yeah. the baby's cry is meant to spring you into action. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just walking along with this panicked baby. And this woman looked at me and she kind of looked at me for a, a long time. She held eye contact with me for mm-hmm. a while. And I think she was kind of trying to scan like, what is going on here? This woman has this baby who's panicked and this mm-hmm. toddler walking with her who's going nuts. And mm-hmm. I kind of saw myself through her eyes for a moment and mm-hmm. it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just dead behind the eyes, just mm-hmm. devoid of all feeling. I was mm-hmm. pretty shut down in a lot of ways because I had to swap out a lot of my feeling for function at that time. Yes. And that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I kind of knew, okay, eventually I'm going to need some more support to get through this. And and that wasn't the moment that I saw out any help, but it was the moment that I kind of gave my per- myself permission mm-hmm. to seek it out. And maybe there are some women who realize they need support and seek it out right away. But for me, there was a few months of gap there because mm-hmm. I I felt like I just needed to stay in the situation for a little bit longer. And I didn't feel like I had the room to invite in any feelings. I just wanted to keep pushing along because I felt mm-hmm. like I was in crisis mode. And so yeah. that space was okay for me. And when I think back on that time, I don't have uh, any regrets for how long I went between the recognition and the action, because it's just what our situation demanded in my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Um, uh, it's it's lovely that you can honor that in yourself and, and not add judgment to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it seemed like if I was adding one more thing to the list where I was leaving my husband with a screaming baby <laughs> <laughs> to go seek out therapy, it, you know, I was already getting to leave the house to go to work. And I, I felt like I had a little bit of space and, and that was working, but I was kind of doing as much as I could. And I did Mm -hmm. feel a little bit of, again, work in this situation, just like with my daughter kind of gave me some resilience because I felt like I had a sense of control at work. I felt a little bit more myself. And so that was a good space for me. So I, Mm -hmm. I did have some resilience at that time still, but at around nine months when my son started having some more happy days. And we would notice he was, you know, content more than he was crying. We felt like we were finally out of the woods. That's when I started seeking out some help. And I did it in a couple different ways. I Mm. first had to kind of settle my nervous system, which was totally shot. Yeah. I still think my son was sleeping a little better at that time, but my daughter was still so overwhelmed that her sleep issues were pretty bad. So I started seeing an acupuncturist to just help me on a physical level. Mm-hmm. And then I also started seeing a therapist because I, I do feel like during that time, I kind of had to harden up. I mean, if you're in a phase where you just need to cook dinner while your child is hysterically screaming, because that's just what your home situation demands, you're going to harden up from that experience. Mm-hmm. And I right. needed someone to help me create that space to soften back up now mm-hmm. that that was no longer my situation. And I, I, I couldn't do that quite on my own. So I was grateful for that help. And then I also really needed to figure out how to help my daughter a little bit better. And mm. so I did this really deep and intense study of attachment and hypersensitivity in children. And I kind of learned a lot more about what was going on in her system and in her mm-hmm. mind, which helped me not take her behavior personally and helped me walk her through what she was going through a little bit better. And I also started working with a parent consultant who was really trained in understanding attachment and and hypersensitivity. And um, I continue to work with her. And sometimes if we're in a tricky spot, it's really nice to have a check-in with her so Mm -hmm. I can use her more compassionate lens of seeing my daughter and we can try to get back on the right track. So that place of healing with my, after that, 
postpartum period really had to be two pronged. It had to mm-hmm. be, you know, heal myself and then build up the the capacity and really the understanding to try to help my daughter come to the other side of that experience too. Cause she had been through that experience just like I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, good for you uh, for realizing that you could get help. It, it is really hard to get to the point where you see or realize or even want help. Not, not that you didn't want it before, but to allow, uh, allow that kind of help is a huge step in healing. Mm-hmm. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Um, So with that, uh, with with the support that you had, I guess, specifically for your daughter, it sounds like you found ways to help her cope and soothe um, while you were getting that for yourself. Another little parallel process. Yep. Yep, definitely. And then, you know, not too long after we came out of the woods with my son, then I got pregnant again. And so that's when I had this intense fear of a repeat of that postpartum experience. And I don't know if that time, I mean, I was, I was really coming out of that experience, but I'm not sure if I had the broader context to realize everything that had been piling up during that time to make it such a hard experience. Yeah, I was still just kind of putting myself at the center of everything and not seeing the bigger picture. I was starting to piece it together, but you know, I kicked it into high gear during that third pregnancy and I took some maternal mental health trainings and I was listening to your podcast. Like it was my lifeline and just hearing other women's stories in this space and just relating and connecting and, and not feeling so isolated or unique. Mm, Yeah. And really starting to understand why I couldn't just pull myself up by the bootstraps during that time. And really making a different plan for the the birth and postpartum period after um, this third baby was supposed to arrive and putting a plan in place, not just for myself, but for my older children too. Yeah. And just realizing that they were going to need support the same way I was going to need support. That's fantastic. It's a lot of planning um, and a, a lot of foresight and, and whatnot, but having gone you having been through what you'd been through, it sounds like there was no other option than to prepare to for prevention's sake. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it was also, you know, I, I think my mentality going into the first and second births were just, I really value being self-sufficient and I, I can try to do a lot of things myself. And I had so much more surrender in that third pregnancy of, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not possible Mm -hmm. to do everything myself, nor is it healthy. And it's not benefiting my other children for me to try to put myself right back into a high gear. Mm -hmm. What would benefit all of us if it it would be if I could take that rest 
and really rejuvenate and have some real healing on a physical level and take some space on an emotional level after the baby and kind of reemerge as a better mom. And I had so much, such a better understanding that it wasn't about like trying to do as much as I could in those first three weeks after birth. I was really playing a long game this time. <laughs> Good. And I, <laughs> I wanted to recover in a way where I could, you know, more authentically bounce back from that experience, not just stay running on fumes from post birth through the next however many years. But that required that I was really asking for help in a more overt way. And that was hard for me because I didn't want to feel like I needed help. But it was a really great experience to be able to vocalize needing that help from other people. And for, for me, you know, I, I was able to ask my mother in law to stay with us for a lot longer than she had with the other babies. And she felt like a really safe person for me to have around. And in my, when I had my fourth baby, it felt like a really safe choice for me to actually try to hire a postpartum doula because then I had a contract with that person and it was just a safe person who I knew was going to show up and be Mm -hmm. available Mm -hmm. right in that postpartum time. And I wouldn't have the stickiness of, of family. Um, I still had family coming to help. Absolutely. But I also just felt very comfortable and safe that my needs were going to be met by this person that I had this very open understanding with in a way that can be a little bit harder to lay out with your family members. Sure. Right. Right. They are there for a very specific reason. It's uh, it's not specifically emotionally complicated. Um, it's mm-hmm. c- contractual, even if it's, you know, friendly and, and whatnot. But yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of clear understanding and boundary is is great. And it's not something you can really get with family because they're family. They're not um, That's right. professionals <laughs> and you don't necessarily don't want me. No. <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah. yeah. And with my family too, I did get much better at saying, look, when you come to visit, I really need help and I need help with meals if that's possible for you or if that feels comfortable for you. The older kids are just really dying for someone to play with. Mm-hmm. Um any trips to the park that you can take them on so I can get a little bit of rest would be helpful. I just got much more specific. And it's amazing when you ask for help in that way, people do want to help. But if you don't give them your your preferences or really give them the permission to help, they're tiptoeing around. And so, um, you know, when my, my brother came after my fourth baby was born, he was wonderful at taking the older kids on all these outings. And it was Mm -hmm. so nice to have a peaceful, quiet house. Um, When my sister came after the fourth baby was born, she walked in the door and said, what time do you like dinner on the table? And I was like, well, six o'clock, but I don't even think that's ever happened. (laughs) uh, She was like, okay, six o'clock. And she had dinner on the table at six o'clock every single night when she stayed with us. So, you know, I hadn't been giving other people enough credit for how much they could offer support at that time. Yeah. And it was a great experience to really just try to receive in a different way that I I hadn't done before. Mm, I love that. Have you checked out the pregnancy workbook yet? If you or somebody you know is entering into a new pregnancy and possibly feeling some jitters or anxiety or worry, this book is perfect for you or them. With loads of insights and information on how to cope with through pregnancy and anxiety, there's also quite a few tips and tricks and skills for you to use in your day-to-day. Pick up a copy today for yourself or someone you love to help ease the pregnancy journey. The Pregnancy Workbook can be found anywhere books are sold online, and any review that you can leave for the book is helpful so that other people can know if it's the right book for them. It's so it's so much harder than you would think to just allow somebody to help you. Um, it really is. Yep. But wow, uh, when you do allow it, and bonus if you can do it without like guilt or anything like that, um, it it is just so lovely to feel like truly cared for. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like too, and maybe other people can relate to this. It's not like everybody who came into your house had the same skill set. Um, each person can do different things for you, and uh, in 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 terms of helping you, like you know, obviously, I don't know your brother and sister, but maybe she loves to cook, so that's her thing, and maybe your brother loves to get outside, so that's his thing. It, and yeah, it, it's it play 
having people help you in a mutually beneficial way is also nice, but yeah, you can, you can ask for, for what you need. That's most of it. If you, if you think it's interesting for the listeners in with the fourth baby, I had a, I tried to follow a little bit more of like an Ayurvedic postpartum plan for that recovery. Yeah. You can, you can talk about that. That was just an, you know, an interesting experience. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, that is pretty much most of my story. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the Ayurvedic healing and then what you are doing now and considering all of the, what you've learned about what you need and your, your healing process, um, how, how did things go after the fourth? That was definitely my most empowering postpartum experience. So with the, with the other babies, I had been so hyper-focused on the birth and being very adamant about wanting this natural birth with no interventions. And by the fourth baby, I, I assumed the baby was going to come out and that (laughs) that event would take place. But what I really wanted to put a lot of the energy into was the postpartum Mm -hmm. time. So I stayed in our basement. We live in a little house in Queens and I made the the basement, which happens to have a bathroom right off of the basement, um, my little recovery cave <laughs> and stayed there as long as I could. I got like a little hot pot for heating up tea down there. Um, the postpartum doula that we hired would come in and, and cook all of these wonderful Ayurvedic meals that were targeted for postpartum recovery. And, um, I had already looped her in on how I wanted my daughter to feel really a a strong sense of belonging and inclusion during that time because it could be overwhelming for her. And so it ended up being this beautiful um, time where our postpartum doula, Caitlin, would cook up these meals and then my daughter would bring them down on a plate for me. And she was so excited to be feeding me and and helping out during that time. And I could tell she felt really purposeful and kind of empowered big sister. Mm. And um, that was beautiful for both of us. Yeah. And um, my husband was all in on this idea and uh, a huge support in me staying as long as I wanted to in that basement space to recover. And his mom came into town for a while and helped tremendously with the kids. He was doing a lot with the kids the one thing he doesn't like to do is wake up early. So I would say from like seven to nine, I would have four kids and me (laughs) down there, (laughs) but then, you know, he'd get up and I'd have all that time to recover. So it was a really nice experience and completely different from the other ones where I basically tried to bounce back as soon as I possibly could and was Mm. pushing my body to do things that I had before the baby came like as soon as possible after. And gosh, right. um, You know, in, in, Ayurveda, they say that they say 40 days for 40 years. And what they mean when they say that is the first 40 days after a woman gives birth will set up the next 40 years of her health and vitality. And in Chinese medicine, they call it the golden window, which is like, or the golden month, which is like that month after birth. It's this really great opportunity for deep healing to take place so that you can kind of emerge fully recovered from that. So with four kids, it's not, you can't do it totally as it's laid out, but I certainly tried my best. And I was amazed at how, when those early weeks were over, like I really was pretty energetic and I felt, Mm. um, you know, really recovered. And emotionally, I was much more stable. My nerves were a lot calmer. And then just knowing what I knew from the the first three babies, I could kind of come alongside that hypervigilance as it would flare up rather than get so panicked by it. Yeah. So, you know, those thoughts that flashed through your head of imagining falling down the stairs as you're holding the baby or, you know, all these things that I remember from the first three that terrified me, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, Oh, there's that again. Yep. Mm-hmm. That, that flares up quite a bit in these early months. I remember. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't take me out with the thought. I just nice. kind of noticed it and had a lot more compassion for like, here comes hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a beautiful. Yes. That's what I, I, anybody who's listening, who has any kind of intrusive thoughts, yes, please hear this and, and try and integrate that. It's so necessary. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's not you. It's, it's what's happening. Yes, definitely. And I finally, finally had the, the context for that. This isn't me. This is just what's happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Oh, beautiful. How nice. I'm, I'm really happy that you got to have that experience. Um, and it sounds like it was just so deeply healing in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the whole idea of that time ended up feeling so intuitive and, Mm -hmm. um, kind of common sense, which I, I, I wish I had applied it with the earlier births, but the basic idea just being that mom needs what the baby needs, which is just like rest and warmth and nourishing food Mm -hmm. and protection from overstimulation and just like a pause from life as we do life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Uh, when you give that to the mom and baby, it's just, it's such a nice thing. So I, uh, you know, after your experience, you learned so much and I know that you're helping other parents uh, in some very interesting and specific ways. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So as I trudged along with these babies, you know, different things came up at different times. And after um, a big part of my healing after my son was born was trying to create a little bit more community around, you know, with parents and and babies. And so one of the things that I did was start a mindful parenting program at the school that my husband and I run. And I have some amazing coworkers over there who jumped right on this idea with me and really helped me bring this idea to life. And so it's not running right now because of COVID, but it, we hope to have it running again soon, but we have moms and babies or dads and babies, any parents and babies who want to come into an environment that's really set up in a way that allows for safe exploration of the babies and the parents get to sit back and really observe mm. and note take. And, and then we have discussions every other week about what we're noticing. And we talk about child development and typical phases that babies go through. And it's just a supportive um community and also a way to really see your baby a little bit more objectively and mm-hmm. and also watch them thrive without feeling like you're having to interact with them every second. So that was one thing that I've done. So that program has been running for gosh, maybe four years now. Nice. And it's been really nice to see all the parents that have come through and a lot of the the children now we know as older, big kids. And it's sweet to see them. Cause I think I knew mm-hmm. you when you were a baby and <laughs> you can see the personality in them even at six or seven months. So I also have an online community where I run classes from time to time on different topics, um, hypersensitivity in children or different attachment topics. Sometimes we have classes on Montessori in the home, and that's just been a nice space to bring parents together where we can just have a common interest and educate ourselves a little bit more and learn about how to parent our children in whatever way they might need us to show up for them. So that's been a nice thing that is a little bit more recent that I've put together in the past year or so, but it's a really nice space to have a non-judgmental online community of, of parents who are all trying to learn and, and better themselves and understand their children better. Oh, that's great. I mean, I, I think it's necessary because we don't, most of us don't get any information on child development that's, you know, beyond what might be in an article online or something like that to really understand what's happening with our children. And just that that education is necessary for both the parent and the baby so that we can meet their needs in a way that's more aligned with, with how they're showing up. Um, exactly. It, it feels exactly. like we should all get that like just standard. <laughs> we mm-hmm. we all could use some of that early, early understanding of our babies and what's, what's common and what's, um, you know, what's not to be expected, but what's common. And uh, so that we are not left feeling like we don't know or um, feeling lost in their development and in our own, our own transition into parenthood. Exactly. And it's so, it's so easy to kind of you know, with that, that hypervigilance or, uh, you know, we just all want what's best for our children. And so sometimes we're scanning for what's negative or scanning mm-hmm. for what could be wrong and, and almost wanting to pathologize it. But mm-hmm. when you can learn about it through a more objective 
stance, you can really start to scan for what's working. And if you boil it down to the essence of it, you know, if your child is seeking connection with you and you're seeking connection with them and you both are delighting in each other's presence, then there's a lot that's going right. Mm -hmm. And then everything else can just be icing on the cake after that. Mm -hmm. And I think so often we see like troubling behaviors here and there, and we think that there's just so much wrong. And this kind of brings it back down to basics and can really kind of change up the dynamic just enough so that we're seeing our children in a way where parents know that they're they're the ones that can walk their child through this because they know just a little bit more about the situation of maybe raising a hypersensitive child or mm-hmm. raising a child who has a presents with a little bit of anxiety. And now the parent isn't so anxious about their anxious child and everyone kind of settles. Yes. Oh, it's yeah. I love the healing process. And it's just, I mean, sometimes obviously you, you had an experience where everything got turned on its side and you had to figure out a lot of things to get through the healing and get to a space where it feels, you know, where you're feeling better. But like, you know, from your vantage point now, looking back on it, there's just such a, like a really deep and beautiful learning that happened. Although it was extremely difficult and painful at the time, Mm -hmm. it's just getting to a point where you've been able to get through something and can look back on it and see how the the healing has happened is, is just, I don't know. It's just, maybe it's because I'm a therapist. (laughs) That's my jam. I love it. I'm so much with you. I mean, Mm -hmm. anytime you can go through something that hard and then look back and say, okay, but I pulled on that experience and tried to create something a little bit better, Mm -hmm. both for myself and maybe hopefully even for someone else, which is exactly what you've done with this. It's just amazing to be able to, to, turn that around in that way. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I, that's why I love talking to people like you and hearing your story and, and hearing all of the different ways that people find healing. It's not just one way. There are so many things available for healing and just love your story. And I'm really grateful that you came to share it with us. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity and thank you for all the work you do. I really, this was a huge jumping off point and kind of normalizing what that experience had been like for me. And I think really set me in a lot of ways, set me further on this path. So thank you. Oh, I'm so, I'm so glad and grateful. You can get more information about Christine's work at thefamilyflow.com. Please be sure to share this episode with anyone who you think could benefit from hearing a personal story through pain to healing and recovery. As usual, I thank you so much for being here and continuing to help raise the volume on perinatal mental health. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.